when people are working seven days a week and they're always on, they've trained their audience, their customers, their employees to expect that. You are listening to Amplify Your Success Podcast, episode 277. And today I've got a special guest joining me and he's going to inspire you to start working a four-day work week. You ready for this? Let's get started. Welcome to the Amplify Your Success Podcast. Get ready to ramp up your revenue, amplify your impact, and make your mark in the world. This is the show for experts, thought leaders, and service professionals who want to shatter their limits and achieve that next level. You're going to find out from other experts and influencers how they made it. Now, let's get Amplified. Hey there, inspired entrepreneurs and business leaders. Welcome to the show. It's Melanie Benson, authority brand amplifier to experts ready to add another six figures to their business this year. And today we're going to talk about all things lifestyle business. Let's get into a four-day work week. And my guest today is going to share his insights and his strategy to accomplish that and why it became so important to him. And I've loved working a four-day work week for many, many, many years, not every week, but almost every week. And there are some strategies you can put into action. Now, my guest is going to unpack his. Before we get started, let me share mine. You want to get my seven-step proven framework to getting booked and speak in front of other people's audiences, get hot leads, and, and get five-figure clients. You can get this at amplifywithmelanie.com. For a limited time, it is free. Now, inside, I'm going to unpack my framework that I have been using for 18 years to tap into the collaborative power of my peers, my colleagues, and my competitors' audiences, and to deliver massive value and turn it into my hot lead source that attracts and helps me enroll really amazing clients so I can help them solve their biggest challenges around visibility, around authority, and around adding another six figures to their business. So if you would like the inside track on how I do that and how you can put it into action in your business, head over right now to amplifywithmelanie.com. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey, welcome back amplifiers. You are in for a treat today. I have got a great guest. We're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, and that is creating and living a four-day work week. Yes, it is possible. I do it, and my friend Joe is doing it. So let me introduce you to Joe Sinek. He is the author of Thursday is the New Friday, which I absolutely love. I'm so jealous that you came up with that name. How to work fewer hours, make more money, and spend time doing what you want. It examines how the four-day work week boosts creativity and productivity. Now, I've been watching Joe get featured everywhere. He's been on Forbes. He's been in Good Magazine and the Smart Passive Income podcast. He is the host of the popular The Practice of the Practice podcast, which is recognized as one of the top 50 podcasts worldwide with over 100,000 downloads each month. Best-selling authors, experts, scholars, and business leaders and innovators are featured and interviewed in the 550-plus podcast episodes he's done over the last six years. And now he's joining us 
to talk about the four-day work week. Hey, Joe, nice to have you here finally. I know this has been a long time coming. I know. It's always fun to hang out with people that I've hung out with in person. So it's awesome to see you. I know. Maybe we'll be able to recreate that sometime soon. (laughs) So I'm... I love this book. I love the message. I love what it's about. What was the inspiration to write a book and actually achieve a four-day work week for you? Yeah, I I knew I wanted to write a book, but I didn't want to just, you know, just say something just to say something. I, I really wanted to figure out what was it that I was saying to my consulting clients, to my membership communities uh, over and over so that it really could be a book that was a starting point for any of my clients, first and foremost. But then to also expand beyond the people that I work with, wanted to look at what was applicable. And I actually worked with a writing coach for a year just on the proposal. And every Thursday, we would talk for a few hours, and she would just get me chatting about how I would solve this problem or that problem. And she was helping me parse out what's other people's content and what's my content. And really, the idea of working less and getting as much done in a short period of time, she really saw as being a unique way that I approached things. And so once we kind of landed on that, then looking at the four-day work week as really genuinely being the next step for the evolution of the business world, uh, it then had more of a macro hook than maybe just my individual consulting clients. Yeah. I think it's still more realistic than a four hour work week too. Like I think most of us read that book and went, oh my God, is that really even possible? And this is possible. Like I've been living a four day work week. You know, sometimes it's four and a half, but for the most part, it's a four day work week. Um, And I think it's something that we can strive for and achieve because there's role models for it. Yeah. And I think the four hour work week pushed the conversation was that 10 or 12 years ago to just see that we can automate quite a bit. So I would say that was probably for the micro entrepreneur that really could implement that. And I see this really as shifting the conversation away from honestly, this thing that we inherited from the industrialists that they gave to us. There wasn't a whole lot of rhyme or reason to why it was five days. And it was a huge step back in 1926 when Henry Ford instituted the 40 hour work week uh, because people were working just so many hours before that. Um, Mm. But we've really outgrown that industrialist thinking in so many other ways as well. Mm. You know, I've always been curious how certain things we accept as the norm are created. So what I hear you saying is Henry Ford was a, the instigator, if you will, of a 40 hour, five day a week work week. But yet in Europe, there are all different kinds of work weeks and people have been experimenting with four day weeks and like, you know, like what they, what do they call them? Four days on three days off. And, you know, what are you seeing as the value for people to getting into this idea and, and like a routine of four day work weeks? Yeah, I think that question of why do we even accept what we accept was kind of central when I first started, uh, because I wanted to know how much of this is really secure and just we have to do it this way versus, okay, this is pretty new to humanity. And even looking at the seven day week, the Babylonians just made that up around 3000 years ago. Uh, as recently as the 1800s, the Russians had a five day work week, the, the Romans had a 10 day work week, uh, the Egyptians had an eight day week. And so even just the concept of a week, there's nothing in nature that even points to seven days. And so Mm -hmm. this thing that we accept, we accept it as humans, seven days, I don't think that's going to change. But then the idea of the 40 hour work week, uh, to say, why was that set up? Henry Ford set it up to sell more cars, he wanted a weekend so that his own employees would buy cars to get away quicker and to get away from work faster. And it worked. And so the 
first starting point was to sell more cars. And then it became all around how machines could best work. Now we no longer think of humans or businesses as purely just being machines to plug in. We don't think of the employees that work for us as part of an assembly line. Uh, we hope that there's a lot more diverse thinking than what a machine would give us. And so in most ways we've outgrown that. Uh, and also the best key performance indicator isn't butts in the chair. Like if we've learned anything from the pandemic, uh, it's that a lot of the work that we thought needed 40 hours, we can do in fewer hours or with a flexible schedule, we can pair the work that we do with when we have the best, most creative energy or, or to shift it in different ways to just know, hey, you know, when my kids are in bed for a couple hours, that's actually when I'm best at email. And for other people, they might say, you know what, honestly, Netflix and a glass of wine is how I need to debrief in the evening. Um, and so to have that growing flexibility, we all intuitively know that right now from our experience going through the pandemic and the research is supporting it. And so showing that when we give ourselves fewer hours to work on things, it helps us do the best work and to do that work fastest and most creative. Hmm. So let's talk to the skeptics for a second. The people who are locked into not just a five-day work week, but they're still in seven-day work weeks. And I think we both know a lot of entrepreneurs that get um, kind of like in this treadmill of always so much to do. How might you, like your book, incentivize somebody to reevaluate that, that locked into seven days, I'm always on mode and find some inspiration in this four-day work week? Yeah, there's a couple of factors that I think are worth evaluating. First, when people are working seven days a week and they're always on, they've trained their audience, their customers, their employees to expect that. And so mm -hmm. by not setting boundaries, they've created this system to say, this is who you are. You're on seven days a week. And then your business develops around that. Whereas by setting hard and soft boundaries, my team knows that if there's an emergency and they text me on a Friday, I'm going to respond. I'm not gonna, just going to say burn it down. Um, but they also know if they text me on a Friday and say, hey, like I need to have this, I'll say, I'll get to that on Monday. I'll put it on my calendar. And so I'm setting the boundaries to then say, this is the kind of life that I want to live as a result of the business that I've created. Uh, secondly, oftentimes we see an overvalue of work and an undervalue of fun. Uh, so even just saying how much of my ego and self-worth is wrapped up in my business success, in the things that I create, uh, people use terms all the time, like my business is my baby, I've put in all this time, I'm birthing a new e-course. There are times you need to kill your business. You're not gonna kill your kid if it's not working out for you. You're not gonna leave them in an alley, but you do need to kill your business sometimes. There's times when you need to chop it up and say, this isn't working for me anymore, or I'm going to outsource it or eliminate it. And so when we have this inappropriate relationship with our business, where it gives us so much ego boost, um, which isn't necessarily on the surface bad, we would hope that when we achieve something, we can be excited about it and say, look at what I did. I worked so hard for six months or five years to make this thing happen. Of course, we want to celebrate that. But then if that becomes the main kind of dopamine hit to our brains, uh, that then makes it that it's really hard to do anything outside of that. And then the last part of it is understanding how genuinely when we slow down and set boundaries, it helps us level up faster. Because say you're a seven day a week person, you're on Instagram all the time, you're feeding this whole monster. And then you say, you know what, I'm going to just try to work five days a week and have a weekend for the first time. That boundary then forces you to do less. 
And are you gonna do the best 10 tasks or the worst 10 tasks? You're gonna do the best. You're gonna do the best things that are most impactful. And if you do that week after week and then start to drop the ball in other areas or outsource it or eliminate it from your schedule, you then become more of the leader that you should be than doing maybe all these menial tasks that you should be handing off to someone else. Mm, I love that you covered that because I, I totally agree. And so I took on a challenge for myself. Uh, I, we've never talked about this, but I'm remembering a time, it was about three years into my business, maybe almost four. And I had literally recreated a job. I worked 70, 80 hours a week, most of the time as, as a corporate employee. And I found myself right back in that same trap because I was driven to do more, achieve more. Yeah. That, that ego drive of like, I have this ambition to accomplish some big goals and I was burned out. I was exhausted. I was making bad decisions. I was grumpy. Um, I, I certainly wasn't feeling very creative. And I realized at, at one time I, I said, if I was going to be my best coach, I would give myself a challenge to work less. And so I'm, I'm, kind of wondering, like, as you're listening in today, like, could you take this challenge on for yourself too, of what would I have to be do, willing to do differently to work four days a week? And that's what I did to myself, Joe. We said, what would have to shift so I could do a four day work week? And it's amazing what the brain surfaces and what, where you see your weak points or what your where you've built yourself traps that keep you in those longer work weeks. I mean, for me, it's, really figuring out the easiest, smallest steps that we can take over time consistently. So mm -hmm. even just saying what's one hard boundary and one soft boundary I can add to my schedule. So a hard boundary might be every week at three o'clock on Friday, I'm going to call it quits. I'm going to close all the tabs. I'm going to turn off all the alerts. I'm going to not allow myself to, to do anything on my phone. I'm going to maybe even change the password on my phone to like, have me be like, Oh, I changed the password. That's right. I'm not supposed to be on my phone. Anything that's a hard boundary. So for me, you know, if I have a pre-consulting client that reaches out and I do a call with them and they say, the only time I can meet is on Fridays. Like I will never take that person on because I, mean, I wrote a book about not working on Fridays. That's something I live. I have a seven and 10 year old, two little girls that I want to spend time with. And on Fridays, I get the house cleaned and straightened up for our weekend and plan things out. So that's a hard boundary. Uh, but a soft boundary might be, you know, I really don't want to check email on a Friday or a Monday at all. Uh, and there may be times when my assistant texts me and says, there's two emails that just came through. You, you really have to reply to these. So I have systems set up, like having somebody check my emails that then she knows here's the level of email that deserves her texting me and saying, hey, this just came through. You might want to check on it. Uh, and so then it allows me to step back when it's time to step back and let my brain really slow down so that then when it's time to really kill it, I have that energy. I'm excited to jump into work and I can spend that time doing it. Hmm. Those are great distinctions between hard and soft boundaries. I haven't heard that before. So thank you for unpacking that a little bit because I can see where I do hard and soft boundaries too. Maybe where uh, it gets a little, like we, we kind of get sneaky with ourselves as if we have too many soft boundaries and then yeah. the soft boundaries become no boundaries. Right. So, uh, but I, I'm sure you unpack that more in the book. That might be well worth looking at if, if you are a soft boundary that quickly becomes no boundaries. Um, Joe, I'm really interested and intrigued by something I see you talk about a lot, these internal inclinations. And I have saw you post about them and, you know, I know they're in the book, but maybe tell me a little bit about what an internal inclination is and how that plays out for people in this idea of working a four-day work week. 
Yeah. So kind of the flow of the book is first looking internally as to our natural posture towards life. So that's the internal inclinations. Then we go into why we should start with slowing down instead of having slowing down be a reaction to the work we just did. It's actually a preparation for the work we're about to do. And then the last step is the killing it. So once you've slowed down, now you have all this ability to sprint, go faster, and, and all these psychological hacks that the research teaches us. So if we start with our internal inclinations, there are three inclinations that top achievers just naturally have. And so I walk through these three inclinations and then there's an assessment that can help you figure out which ones are naturally occurring for you and which ones need some work. It's not pass fail. It's not like if you don't have one of them, you just can't be a good entrepreneur. It's more, let me be aware of what naturally is easy for me and which areas maybe I need to build that muscle. So the three internal inclinations are curiosity, the second one is an outsider perspective. And the third one is an ability to move on it. And so with curiosity, if we think about, you know, when we're kids, uh, we're told curiosity killed the cat. You know, I spent some time digging into that. Where did that even come from? In 1910, the Washington Post front page headline said curiosity killed the cat for five days. There was this national story about this cat that was stuck in a chimney. So it was a slow news week with front headlines, but you're told this, so curiosity is going to kill you. Like that's a terrible message to tell kids. And, and we believe that oftentimes that that curiosity, we don't dive into that. We feel like we've figured it out. Uh, I remember just a few weeks ago, my nieces who are four and six were hanging out with my daughters who are seven and 10. They're outside, they're all playing and they got really quiet. And, you know, as the only adult on duty, I'm like, what's going on out there? And they were all standing around this dead mouse that they had found. And the questions they were asking were so interesting. They were, they were like, how do you think it died? Do you think an owl will eat it? Do owls eat dead mice or only live mice? Should we do a mouse funeral? What's a mouse funeral even look like? Do you think this mouse even wants a funeral? Like, what should we do with it? Do you think it has bugs on it? And I mean, just like so many questions. Kids are constantly figuring out, is what I'm experiencing right now something that doesn't happen often? It's brand new and it doesn't really happen? Or is it common and I need to maybe be a little scared of it or prepared for it? Now, as adults, we don't do that, but top performers keep that curiosity. So say they do a mega Facebook ads campaign, spend more money than they ever have, and then they don't get the opt-ins, but they get all, they spend all this money. The curious folks will say, wow, I learned a lot about my audience, what they don't want. Now, of course, they're going to be bummed by it, but they're not going to take that internally and say, I'm a terrible entrepreneur. I shouldn't be in this. What am I doing with myself? They're going to get curious about it. The second internal inclination of having an outsider's perspective are people that just naturally have an outsider's perspective. They may have moved countries, states. They, they may be in an occupation that you know, they just feel like they're not a fit. Uh, and so there's actually a really interesting research that was done on this where uh, it was called the color study. And so they brought in groups of six to eight and they would hold up this color of either blue or green. And then the group would say that's green, that's blue. And they'd usually agree for the most part. And then in the second version of the study, they did that, but they had two people that were working with the researchers. And there was a handful of colors that were in the middle that they would aggressively say that that's blue or that's green when it really wasn't. And they found that statistically over and over outsiders had more influence than the people inside the group. And so we see that that's the case with our internal inclinations. And then the last one, an ability to move on it is that tension between having perfection and doing things right on one side and then speed. So speed and accuracy on sort of this timeline of which, which one are we focusing on? Now there's things that obviously we want to be accurate. Like if I go in for surgery, I want my doctor, I want her to spend as much time as she needs to do that correctly. Like take, I, be paralyzed by perfection. 
But in the business world, almost always speed is going to overpower that accuracy. And those top performers are getting that, that product out there. They're doing that minimum viable product. They're able to say, let's just move on this. And then we'll see as we go rather than just be paralyzed by perfection. Mm, okay. I want to unpack that one a little bit more because this is where, in my experience, working with probably over 5,000 entrepreneurs at this point, I see the stuck point for so many people is this perfection. Like I want the accuracy they need versus uh, the ability to move with speed. So when somebody, and, and I'm sure this plays into their ability to slow down and create more space in their life, right? So where's the balance in that for people who are going to pursue this goal of pulling back from work? but they're still kind of locked into, I got to get it right, or it's not going to feel good, or I'm not going to get the results I want. Mm -hmm. I think there's a couple internal beliefs that people have. Uh, one that I frequently see is uh, only I can do this, or I can do this best. Um, there are people out there that their entire job is to do the thing that you do on the side. So maybe you're still designing your own graphics for a presentation or a webinar. Uh, there's people that love doing that. And so oftentimes if we let go of something, sure, initially, maybe that person won't nail it how you would have, but over time, they may actually be better than you in regards to how they do things. And so letting go of that, uh, we're also, let's recognize that we have been trained as people that are educated, oftentimes have, you know, masters or doctorates, or, you know, even just going all the way through a bachelor's degree, all of our education system is based on the industrialist model. You work on something, you turn it in, you get a grade. Uh, it's not usually an iteration process. Uh, and so we've been trained, you work really hard, you go to the writing center, you learn MLA format, you turn it in, and then you get a grade based on it. That old model that's very prescriptive is, let's label that the industrialist. The new model is more iterative, iterative uh, it's more like a menu saying, let's try these things, see if it works, and then adjust and change over time, and then get the best version of it. So when we realize that the thing that's that perfectionist model is the industrialist saying, you need to do it this exact way, everyone's a robot, everyone needs to fit in this category, and if you don't do it perfect the first time, then your machine won't work, and it's going to cost the business money, that's an industrialist way of thinking. So if we can start to just even identify, wow, those industrialists have really captured my brain, I need to let go of some of that stuff that's when you can start to have a little more playfulness and just the ability to get things out there and then get feedback on it. Mm, I love that. That's, that's really insightful. I, I had this curiosity or speaking of curiosity that's coming up for me. I know there's a lot of people that, that drop into like, okay, so now how am I going to do this? Right. And I've heard you mention the team and some systems what were you, I mean, is it helpful to be able to slow down and pull back you being in the business to have systems and to have team, or there's some other kind of infrastructure things you might recommend to somebody to pull this off? Yeah. So in general, what I see work best for people is to really evaluate everything that's on your plate to begin with, to first say, does all this even need to be on my plate? So our the, there's this idea of, um, it's called Parkinson's law. So there's two sides of it. One side gets more attention than the other. One side of it is that work expands to the time given. And so often if you give yourself, 
you know, a day to do something, it'll take you a day in the same way that if you forget that you had a college paper due the next day, you get that paper done overnight. You, it may not be your best quality work, but you get it done. The other side of Parkinson's law that oftentimes isn't discussed is the natural bloating of organizations. And so he was specifically looking at the British Navy and how basically if anything was added to a system, it was near impossible to pull it back out. So what we can do is when we give ourselves less time to do something, it makes us evaluate why are we doing this the way that we're doing it. And so if we're going to implement a shorter work week, we need to first look at all the bloating that's happened that's already on our plate. So we want to be eliminating things. We want to be outsourcing things. We want to be figuring out are there more efficient ways to do it. That's not always the most fun, innovative things that entrepreneurs want to go after. But if you can start to clean up that plate, that then allows some more extra freedom and, and actually time and energy to go into the bigger projects. So then we typically want to look at the things that are already working for your business that are making money. We don't want to just throw those out or leave them hanging out there because we want to work less, but we want to make sure we identify as the leader, as the visionary, do I need to be doing everything here? Or is there someone for 25 bucks an hour that I can hire that can do five to 10 hours a week that will take you know, some time off of my plate so that I can put it into the bigger projects? Then once that's automated and the things that are already making us money are going well, then we can start to look at what are the big stretch goals or the goals that are going to really help us level up differently. We're looking at things that the ROI isn't five or 10%. It's five or six times more income. And so for me, one year that was, if I can double the price of my one-on-one consulting, uh, that's going to free up a lot of time. But for me to do that, I can't be checking my email every day. So I need to hire somebody that's going to go through the 200 plus emails we get. We need to make sure we're pointing people to the email list and the email courses so that we can follow up with them. So there's infrastructure that had to be built. And then the next year it was building mastermind groups and then later a membership community and then writing a book and all these things were the big goals that amplify things over time. And so when we do that, then you've got the big things that were the goal for that year, but then, okay, I start all these mastermind groups. I don't need to be the one that's doing everything now. I need to now automate it and say, what do I need to show up for? Okay, twice a month, I need to be on camera with those people. They're paying to be with me, but all the infrastructure that goes around it, I don't need to be doing. So now I'm only putting in two hours a month into those mastermind groups instead of what, when I first launched it, it was maybe 10 hours a month. And so over time, we're continuing to add that infrastructure to help support what you're doing so you can keep going after those bigger things the next year. Well said, I love that. That's such a great uh, way to step through and make smaller chunks to get to the bigger outcome. So I know our community, uh, as you're listening in, you're probably going, okay, how do I get the book? What was the name of that book again? And what, what, how do I, how do I like get started on all this? So Joe, um, remind us the name of the book and we'll link it up in the show notes for you. So you can go find it quickly on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. What was the name of your book again? Yep. It's Thursday is the new Friday. And so it's put out by Harper Collins. So wherever you get your books, it's probably there. And if not, uh, whether it's your local bookstore or Amazon, uh, they have it. Great. And uh, we'll link it up on Amazon probably just to make it easy. And then like you, you kind of like touched on these internal inclinations, but you have this really cool quiz you did. Tell everybody about the quiz and where they can find it. 
Yeah, we brought all the research together to do this full assessment to help you understand where you really land in regards to your internal inclinations. And so this assessment, we usually sell for $59, but we're giving it to your audience for free. They can just go to internalquiz.com and excuse me, internalquiz.com. And then uh, right there, you're just going to enter your information. You're just going to use code T-I-T-N-F. That's for Thursday is the new Friday um, to waive that fee. Uh, and then you'll be able to go through and see not only where you land with the three internal inclinations, but it's also going to tell you if you have habits that are helping with them uh, and if there's extra areas that you could work on. So it'll give you all sorts of tips to say, hey, you don't have much of an outsider's perspective. That's a growing area for you. Here's a, way, a few ways that you can build that muscle. So then it's not just telling you where you're at, but it helps you then have very clear actions as to what to take to help grow that internal inclination. Love it, love it. We'll link that up in the show notes and put the, the code there as well, just to make it handy in case you were scrambling for a pen and didn't write it down fast enough. Joe, this is the time where I like to ask a couple of fun questions just uh, to help our community get to know you a little bit better in your journey. What is the boldest thing you've ever had to do to amplify the success of your business? The boldest thing I had to do to amplify my business was leaving my full-time job. I, I remember uh, when my second child was born, I used the full Family Medical Leave Act just to see how things would go. So I was working 20 hours a week instead of 40 did that for about six months and every month was better than the month before, but I was raised by two people that had jobs and were telling me that I shouldn't leave a state pension and, you know, had to go against what my parents' advice was. And probably didn't look back and, and think it was a bad idea ever. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I haven't looked back at all. <laughs> uh, there's been moments where I, you know, 22 years or whatever, yeah, 22 years this year, I look back and think, would it be easier if I had a job again? And I'm like, no, it's, it might be easier to rely on a paycheck, but it's never going to be easier for me to, to not do what I love. So uh, I'm with you on that one. What's one thing you wish you would have done sooner? Mm, in my business or personally or both business in business. Um, I would say I wish from day one, I had started some sort of email course instead of just an easy uh, newsletter or email list to really think out an email course uh, that people could opt into. I think I would have had thousands more people on my email list and that would have served me so much better if I had just started there. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, I love that. That's great advice. And so was that about trusting your intuitive hit or was it about listening to like an expert on a strategy they were suggesting mm -hmm. for you? Where, where was the uh, choice point for you? Yeah, I think for me, um, I didn't take the time to really think about the transformation I wanted people to experience mm. through signing up for any sort of email that I would send. Uh, and so if, if I were to start over, I'd say, okay, so I mostly help people start and grow their uh, private practices. So counseling coaches, therapists. Um, and so to really say, okay, if you're starting a practice, what do you need to do? Like, let, let's create an email course instead of just the email list um, that genuinely walks them through a transformation in nine weeks. Um, to me, now that I teach people that and walk them through that whole process, it's amazing to see how much they just start knowing what to talk about, knowing how to understand the big picture problems, knowing the quick wins and the long-term habits um, that all points to their email course, but that also is just good content. Hmm. Very great insight. Thanks for sharing that, Joe. This has been awesome. I loved unpacking your book and your work with you. 
Again, I highly recommend you go get a copy of Thursdays, the new Friday and take Joe up on this quiz. It will not last forever. So the free part, I'm sure the quiz will probably be there. So go find out and come into the Amplifiers, your authority Facebook group and tell us what your natural inclination is. We'll be creating some conversation on this when the episode goes live. And I want to hear, this is a great way we can get to know each other. I think we're going to inspire Joe to come into the group with us. So he'll be eavesdropping in and checking in with you on that as well. So uh, come into the group. We'll link that up in the show notes as well. Tell us what your natural inclination is. Uh, I'm going to take it as well and find out what mine is. So thanks, Joe, for being here today. And thank you for tuning in and listening. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in today, Amplifier. Be sure to join us right now in the Amplify Your Authority community at authorityamplifiers.com, and I'll share my seven proven tips to be a highly paid expert that stands out in a crowded market. Plus, we're going to keep this conversation going, and I want to hear from you how you're going to amplify your authority and make a greater impact. Before you go, please take a minute to give our show and our guests some love over on your favorite podcasting platform. Subscribe, rate, and review. Leave your full name, and I'll spotlight you and your authority on social media. 